Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have uh, somebody that's beyond uber talented. I don't know what that word would be, but I'm going to have to Google it to get my thesaurus out. But uh, Bashir Salahuddin is joining us today. What's going on, my brother? Oh, man, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I I um in, in doing some research and preparing for today, um, I was looking at the the arc of your career, and I wanted you to to kind of talk about that. You've been a paralegal, a yeah. waiter, a PA, <laughs> a writer, and an actor. Um, as I, I'm actually recording this in my law firm, sure. um, so you you've been a lot. Talk talk us through each of the career stops for you since finishing Harvard, and how each of those experiences shaped your orientation towards your craft today. Oh, that's great. Uh, to go, to go, uh, even a little bit before that, you know, I'm from the South side, big family, but you know, we, we think about a big family is sometimes it's like, that's the first audience. And, you know, you just kind of like entertain each other. My mother was just telling me the other day about the time that I, uh, was like eight or nine. It was like, uh, running around the house, pretending to be the family dog. Uh, <laughs> barking she was like all right well we're just gonna keep an eye on that one and he'll, he'll be okay but i'd always just enjoy you know entertaining my family i was raised uh in a muslim family actually and uh we used to do this thing when i was really young where we had to give these like you know we had to like read the holy book the quran and then like uh do these speeches about it and i i was always in front of a lot of people i bring that up to say that i've always loved the part uh, of it where I got to be in front of other people. And I didn't realize at the time that that was like my first, you know, kind of taste of like acting. And then when I got to high school, uh, I finally just did it and I went out for a play and I got it and, you know, I, the bug bit me. So then after, of course, I go to college. Now the rubber meets the road. I have all these, you know, with the Harvard, I have all these friends who had all these like sort of things that we're going to do next, which were building blocks to their specific career. But when you go out <laughs> to be an actor or writer, there is no, there is no, there's no, I mean, you could go to grad school, but like, you know, a lot of the folks who are, are really successful at this have never seen the inside of a graduate school. It really is sort of like a kind of, you know, so it's kind of a hustle thing. You got to just learn how to like survive and, and figure that out. So I just moved to Los Angeles and uh, then it was just survival mode for like the next probably seven, eight years, taking any job I could that could pay the rent that allowed me to go to auditions and stuff. So I did everything. When I first got there, I was a PA at Warner Brothers for a while. And just what was really dope about that, I will say, is that somebody gave me great advice. And they said, you really should read like the trades every day. So I would read the Hollywood Reporter and the Variety every single day. And you really do learn kind of, um, that's sort of a good vocation for like kind of how Hollywood moves, what people are buying, what people are making, who's meeting who. And you kind of, you know, learn all that stuff. And at the same time, you also get your first taste of working in production and getting coffee for people and making sure you don't screw up the lunch order um, because you will get <laughs> yelled at if you screw up. And I got yelled at so much. Uh, but then after that, I was like, all right, kind of, I got fired actually. <laughs> actually, I got fired from, from uh, uh, my Warner days. Uh, but what's cool about that is I said, myself, you know, I, I'm never coming back to this, this studio uh, until I come back as an actor. That's what I promised myself. And, uh, and so then from there, I went on, and I was doing everything from I was a substitute teacher in South Central for years, years. And my mom and dad both teach. So for me, it was like it felt like a good thing to do. And I, and I learned a lot from it. And it was it was also very tough at times. Um, but I also did, you know, everything from waiting tables at a restaurant where uh, the guy never paid you your, your, your money 
And so he would like give you a check that would always bounce. And then you'd have to meet him at a parking lot in Hollywood. And then he would take the check from you and give you cash. And I never really knew at the time. I was like, I, I, nowadays I'm like, that must be some kind of laundering situation. But at the time <laughs> I was happy to get that $206, man, to get that rent paid, you know, get my part of the rent paid. And it but just kept doing odd jobs. And, and, you know, I'd had another piece of really good advice uh, from this great producer back in my PA days. And he said, you know, I think he said careers are built at night, especially for young people. He said, so, you know, you have your day job and you have your night job and your night job. If you work on it passionately enough can become your day job. And I just always kept that in mind. And so even though I was doing uh, assistant paralegal work at different law firms downtown and, you know, I've done everything from clean bathrooms to, you know, uh, to, like I said, be a substitute teacher with some, sometimes some very difficult kids. But I will say the worst job I ever had was actually being uh, on the clock downtown LA because it's almost like the clock moves in slow motion. When you work at an office job you hate, yeah, especially if your job is like, oh, you're refiling, right? So your job is literally just waiting for lawyers to put files in your desk so you can put it back, you know, in the uh, in the appropriately uh, the appropriate uh, file cabinet. And it's almost like you look at the clock and you're like, God, it was five. 10, 10 minutes ago, why is it 5.06? Like time is moving backward. And you just, you feel like this sort of molasses of energy and it feels like you're stuck. And it's really, that's really like the worst job I ever had was was working like, you know, doing like office work. It was, because you know, at least I'll give the kids something when I was a substitute teacher. They keep the day exciting. You know what I mean? Like it's never for a dull moment. <laughs> Man, I'm about to go down the hallway. I'm about to go down the hallway and check with my paralegals and, and law clerks and stuff. Just to I'll make one sure. now. <laughs> What are, the, what are the dreams? But but ultimately, the good news is that through all that, my writing partner and I started doing our own sketch comedy show uh, at night in L.A. And we did a show called Cleo's Apartment, which is a sketch comedy show whose group name is based on an obscure track from Marvin Gaye's Trouble Man album. And it was just one of those things where that show hit. The folks in that show, and I'm blessed to say this, all did great. You had Robin Thede, who currently runs Black yep. Lady Sketch Show. Yep. Me, myself, Dial Riddle, my writing partner, you know, we do all of our shows and stuff. Uh, you had Nika King, who's now one of the stars of Euphoria. Uh, you know, just so many great people all involved in that. But at the time, you know, Wyatt's an act who's had several shows on HBO and other places. You know, it's just, at the time we were all just, you know, unemployed folks trying to be funny, but it was cool that we had found something that people really responded to and really liked. And from there, I was just going on auditions and, and then it occurred to us also like, you know, we're never going to play the parts that we want to play unless we write them for ourselves. And so, you know, already writing our sketch comedy show, we just started expanding. We started writing stuff for ourselves. And uh, we somehow by hook or by crook, we got on, uh, we got a video that actually, and this is early, early, uh, mid 2000s, it actually went viral for that time, which means it got a million views. Uh, CNN picked it up. It was a parody of, uh, 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 what was that? Fergalicious. It was called Condi Rice Raps. And CNN picked it up. We were like, oh, we stars now, baby. Let's go. And, you know, what was cool about that, though, is somehow we got on David Allen Greer's uh, radar, and he had a show at the time called Chocolate News. And that was, like, my very first Hollywood paycheck was David Allen Greer. He hired us as writers on his show. Unfortunately, the show was short-lived. But then from there, we got on Jimmy Fallon's radar, and he, you know, flew us out to New York for an interview. And at the time, you know, uh, there had been a couple other folks who had tried to uh, do talk shows from the SNL camp and those shows hadn't, you know, they hadn't lasted. Um, and so we were like, oh man, this is going to be, we're moving our whole lives out here for 13 weeks and we're about to move all the way back. But, you know, it's crazy how the universe works. 
you know, Jimmy, to his credit, put together a dream team. He had us, he had the roots. He had all these great young writers and all these people bursting with creativity, dying for a shot, right? Everybody there was dying for their shot. And Jimmy himself was dying for his shot in a way because he had had done SNL and he had had uh, his film career. Um, and now he was really trying to step out, you know, more so on his own and say, no, it's just Jimmy. And, and that was something that, you know, he, he believed in and we all bought into that dream. And then, you know, look, you know, nowadays show's still on the air. Now he's doing the tonight show. Uh, we got a couple Emmy nominations. I, I was blessed enough to write for, you know, the president at the time, uh, Barack Obama, Dial and I wrote slow jam the news with him. Um, we just did so many great things, but it was really, you know, uh, 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 the thing that made me so grateful was that, you know, he took a chance on us. We really didn't have very many credits. Um, and we came out there, you know, both of us are kind of blue collar guys. And we just worked our ass off and just was like, you know, we got to make this work. Um, and to this day, that's kind of the way things stand. You know, we left there. I've done a couple of shows since then. I've been doing a lot more acting and stuff lately, but, you know, kind of everything is from the same point of view of just really loving uh, the opportunity to be creative and always feeling very grateful when anybody pays me to write or act because I just remember all those days when nobody wouldn't pay me to do anything. I was just walking around LA with just no money and nobody seemed to want me to have any money. And it's like, why is the world <laughs> trying to keep me broke? Like what's going on? What do I, who do I need to know? Let me ask you this. Let's talk about Southside. It's legitimately the funniest show on television right now. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank but you, sir. For folks who haven't watched the show, talk about what mm -hmm. it's, uh, what it's about. And like, you've created this cult following of sorts uh, mm -hmm. with with you guys congratulations get, getting a third year order so now you're Thank just you, getting you, you're getting checks for generations now uh, why do you <laughs> oh, oh. why do you think that why do you think the show right. has why do you think the show has developed such a cold and devout following as well oh uh, well i am grateful that the things we love is that there are a lot of people out there who love them too i love hard comedy i, I you know there there's so many great writers right now who can write a comedy, but the comedy will have dramatic moments in it. There's moments in the comedy where you're actually supposed to cry, where you're supposed to have all this emotional uh, journey. And for me, though, I just grew up loving just hard comedy like The Simpsons and Martin. You know, just I want to laugh from start to finish. And we felt like we were developing our show, that that was something that just wasn't out there a lot. It felt like everything was trying to be everything. Everything was trying to be a comedy with some drama in it. And it was really difficult. And I always tell people, you know, the failure is your friend because our first couple of times trying to develop stuff, you know, we listened to those people who told us, you know, put more dramatic moments in to do this and do that, even though that wasn't our instinct. And the stuff failed spectacularly. And it wasn't until we followed our gut and said, let's just make a hard ass comedy, you know, that just you laugh from beginning is, to end. What is hard comedy? Because I mean, it's hard comedy like, um, mm -hmm. what's, what's the guy's name who uh, made, is that Jimmy Carr? Yeah, you remember, do you remember the joke he made during the Comedy Central roast about Pete Davidson? Pete Davidson's I mean, I, I know all those names. And I remember the joke Pete Davidson made about his own father, which was laugh out loud funny. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, he, he made a joke to saying that, that, that this wasn't the roast of Pete Davidson's father. That was 9-11. And so it was oh, like, a, oh, my God, it, it was that, that's not just that's a that's a hard joke. <laughs> that's that a hard joke. Hard. He said he got permission yes. from Pete to do it. It was like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody in the audience was laughing. And then, you know, when it's you like, laugh oh. at something and you, you realize you're like, shit, I'm going to hell. I am. Going yeah, to yeah. Hell. That's how it that's how it was. So define hard comedy for the listeners. Out that's here, the best stuff. That is the for me. Hard. <laughs> you know, for me, hard comedy is just pure 
comedy. The goal is not it's not um, light. It's not romantic comedy where it's supposed to be a romance. And, you're, you know, it's not something you're supposed to watch and also experience an emotion of falling in love or watch people fall in love and laughing. You're supposed to watch it and literally just laugh. That's what we're going for. It's just how can we make you laugh? And so you have people like Ben Stiller, Martin Lawrence, Eddie Murphy, all these folks make just straight up comedy, you know. And the reason we use the word, the word hard comedy has actually become more in vogue now because, again, if you look at, like, for example, in the Emmys, what's winning the comedy category, oftentimes it is something that is, that is more of a dramedy, that has a lot of dramatic moments, that has moments where, you know, characters make powerful speeches and, and people are, like, moved. Um, and so the reason we say hard comedy is we're saying, no, no, this is literally like family guy. You know, it is like, you're going to watch this and you're going to laugh and then it's going to be... And then the show is going to be over. We are not attempting to make something that uh, has dramatic moments or has romantic moments, but it's simply purely comedic. But this is uh, this isn't slapstick comedy either, because this is funnier than mm-hmm. that. Well, slap. First of all, I love slapstick. I like actually. Uh, I, yeah, think some, I think Ace Ventura's. I think Ace Ventura's movies are some of the best ever. But that's just me. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I sir, I co-sign that entirely. Yeah, slapstick. <laughs> I think for me mostly refers to if it's very physical. Usually, slapstick comedy is like. Uh, the Naked Gun, where you have something yeah. that's not just funny, but it also involves somebody, uh, you know, falling through a window backwards all the way down to the ground and then catching on fire. You know, it's always <laughs> funny. You know, I think in, in some ways, like I think the three, the three Stooges is probably the perfect example of slapstick, where they were literally slapping the hell out of each other to get laughs. Um, but, you know, for us, it, we, we do pride ourselves, like The Simpsons, on being, you know, I went to Harvard, my writing partner, and the allies where we met, we pride ourselves on doing stuff that's not just funny, but you know, it can have some smarts in there. It could be some some really delicious wordplay in there. Um, specifically to your question about the show, though, uh, we've always felt like if you ask people, like, who is the funniest person in your life? Like, they might say a celebrity, but mostly it's like, oh, my auntie, it's my cousin. Yeah. You know, it's my boy from high school. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite things about, you know, Dave Chappelle is when I first started watching him, he always felt to me like that funniest, the funniest black dude at the high school. Like that's the energy that I always, he always reminded me of. It's like, he reminds me of whether you went to high school or college, whoever the funniest person in your class was, like that's the energy that I, I would always feel for him. It was very familiar and it felt very like comfortable and it reminded me of home. And so for us, it was like, who are those people in your lives that, that just are funny to you? And then we said, well, shit, man, let's put those people on screen. And so my show's outside. You have my brother, you have my sisters, you have two of my homies from, from high school, you have cousins and friends. My mom has been on the show. Uh, other, you know, it's just like everybody in my life who has made me laugh, people in my, my writing partner, Diallo's life, who have made him laugh, those are the people we said, hey, let's put you on camera, along with other people who are professional actors, et cetera. But it was really about giving a platform to people who are very naturally funny and not necessarily people who audition well. Because sometimes somebody can audition well but somebody else can't audition at all, but they ask, will have the whole room laugh, and he just let it talk. You and know, and Southside, to, those are the folks we want to lean into. To, to piggyback on that a little bit, talking mm-hmm. about funny people, uh, you actually, a, a lot of local uh, comedic talent helps drive this show, mm-hmm. um, including two of my Morehouse classmates. Shout out to Will Miles and Clark oh, Jones. Oh, come t- on. Will Miles is like... First of all, we never knew Will <sighs> and Clark were funny. <laughs> they they look funny. <laughs> they, we were we were like y'all look funny, but we didn't know they were like true comedic geniuses. I'm out here watching Clark doing standups, and I yeah. was like, where did you get this from? I mean, the talent of that. But talk about like how that local comedy drives it, and also when is Chicago? Chicago's always been a hotbed for this type of talent, huh? 
You know, it has always been a hotbed. I mean, you can go all the way back to Robin Harris, you know, who was doing sketch comedy out in L.A., but ultimately that's the Chicago guy. Of course, we know, the, you know, Bernie Mac, Adele Gibbons, all these folks are from Chicago. But the thing about Chicago is Chicago comedy was mostly known for the North Side comedy. It was known for Second City. It was known for the Blues Brothers. Essentially, it was known for the comedy that John Hughes was doing, uh, the white folks, they were doing comedy. And uh, these are all things that I love and have watched a million times. I mean, we literally did an episode last season that was a very light parody of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I was actually wasn't a parody, it was more of an homage. It was an homage to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a movie that I just love to death and have seen a million times. And so, but still, when you thought Chicago comedy, usually you were not talking about Black folks. You might think of a Black comedian you love, but you often would not put two and two together and say, oh, wait, all these people are from Chicago. And so for us, we did feel like there was an opportunity to really shine even a bigger spotlight on what I call sometimes Black Chicago, which is the Chicago of the South Side, but it's also of, of the many, you know, Black voices who are contributing. And then on our platform, now we can bring all those voices together, right? We can bring those people together. We can bring the Will Mileses together. And to some degree, that really helped the writing because Will was in our writer room as well, uh, along with Langston Kerman, who's from Harvey, and Alicia Cowan, who's from Chicago. My wife, Chandra's in the writer room, my brother, like all these great, uh, uh, you know, people from Chicago. And so the thing that I love about the show also is that not only have folks found it funny, but people who are from Chicago, they appreciate it at a much deeper level. But I would even say some, I would even go further and say a lot of people who just were raised in black neighborhoods appreciate it because, look, True. let's be real. I love Chicago. I'm from there. But if you were born and raised in Milwaukee or Detroit or Minneapolis, anywhere in the Midwest, you know, Louisville, honestly, there are so many cultural touch points we have in common. And then as you spread out to the coast, west and east, they change a little bit. But I would argue that you know, whether you're from, you know, Stockton, California or Brooklyn, New York, there's still, if you're raised in a black neighborhood, there are still cultural uh, touch points that you share. And so by making the show super Chicago and by having a bunch of Southside folks really lean into their experience, we've actually been able to be a lot more resonant with people from all over the country. I mean, I had uh, one of my favorite comments we ever got, you know, we put our pilot on YouTube and this, somebody wrote like, you know, I was born and raised in, uh, uh, what do you say? I was born and raised in North Carolina. Um, and, you know, this show, I relate to it, you know, more than anything else I've ever seen. And, you know, we're not, you know, in fact, North Carolina actually is like, for a minute, that was like our second biggest market for the show, uh, which is, you know, great my, place. Part, part of my, that's, mm -hmm. I'm in Charlotte, so part of that's my house. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate, I, you know, I was in, I was in Charlotte uh, for a movie recently and I got to say, I got to go back, man. I really didn't like get to know the city. Sometimes when you shoot, like you just go from your hotel to the trailer to home. And uh, that's one of those places I was like, man, I really wish I had spent a little more time just like on the weekends, you know, just getting to know the city because I, I definitely have so much more to discover there. Uh, okay. But really nice people. But before you go, I mean, one of the reasons I really want to talk to you is because of Top Gun. Talk to me about oh, what yeah. it was like being in such a classic film. And rumor has it. I mean, this is what the rumor has. I don't know if it's true, but your people told me to ask you this. Tom Cruise says you're the best actor he's ever worked with. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Maria Maria sent oh, me a man. question, and the question says, is it true <laughs> that Tom Cruise... We're going to start a that rumor here today, is. okay? <laughs> Let's start that rumor. Let's also start so many rumors uh, today. Uh, no, you know, it was uh, it was unexpected, man. I just didn't... You know, I, was, I always say, like, the things that you do when you're auditioning for a small, you know, theater play somewhere, like that nobody's ever going to see with four people in it. You know, when I first got to LA, that's what I was doing. Lots of plays that nobody has ever seen. You go out there and there'd be more people on stage than in the audience. 
you know, you almost want to be like, well, shit, man, why don't you do a show for us? Because clearly, you know, the ratio is off. Um, but you do the same type of stuff, the same type of work, the same type of vocation that goes into preparing to do Top Gun also goes into preparing, you know, to do like a out of the way production of Coriolanus, you know, some obscure Shakespeare or something like that. Right. And so I had been preparing to do this stuff, but then to actually get there, I absolutely had that imposter syndrome where I'm sitting here like on the deck of a, a you know, a Navy uh, aircraft carrier. And Tom Cruise is in a jet and we're doing a scene together. And my brain is like, what is going on? Where did this come from? Like, I did not know this storyline was going to be the storyline. And this is amazing. Um, you know, but what helps all that is that, you know, he was very gracious. And he's also somebody who said that he appreciates it. I mean, his run has been longer than most at his level. And he is, you know, we would talk about stuff and he'd be like, yeah, I just, I definitely appreciate the fact that I get to do this and can do this. And that people get, you know, pay their hard-earned money to come see us. We take it very seriously because this didn't have to be this way. You know, we didn't have to be here. And, you know, we're very blessed to be able to do this, you know, to, to, to be able to be part of this. But then be able to have my name as part of that that Top Gun lore and to see that thing travel all over the world. And now it just recently hit a billion dollars. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I, I have not personally felt any difference because all I do is work because my life is just work and sleep. But I hear that, uh, you know, a lot of the people in the movie have really been hardened uh to see the response of folks on the street and that's something i hope to experience one day when i when i you know you know pull my head up from the sand and actually yeah. you know get outside hardened means them checks coming bigger now they don't, you don't get, your check your checks will no longer be made out of rubber they won't bounce no more you, you know that was really such an educational experience because i'm like man, it, co it cost me gas money to go pick up a check you know what i mean like and when, when money is tight every little piece has to be accounted for uh, but yeah, you look up and, and it's like, yeah, I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I get to work with people who are at the level they work with. You know, I've gotten a chance to do movies with, you know, Peter Dinklage and, and Hathaway and all these people who I watch and wonder, how do they do that? And then one day you're doing it, you know, and then it's like, well, let me just keep doing it. And, and you know, not let, not let anybody know that I'm deep down being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Pardon my language. I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to keep, keep on keeping on as they used to say in the 70s when I was growing up. Look, last question for you. Who's Bernie Coleman and what about what was about that role that jumped out at you when you read the script for it? You know, I recognize immediately that that uh, this is a character who, you know, was going to be relied upon to bring some humor, some levity, some warmth uh, and some friendship, uh, you know, to the table. And so that for me is something that I felt very comfortable doing. And I felt like it would allow me to just be myself and just have really, you know, th there wouldn't be a lot of. Um, dramatic necessarily uh intention there wouldn't be a lot of like really trying to push the intensity you know in terms of the character and their friendship but it would be a lot of really trying to relate um you know to some degree the character as described to me was like it's often the time the character who uh can speak aloud what you know tom's character is feeling right because you know sometimes this character you know you, you play things in a look you play things um visually but you don't really have necessarily somebody who's always verbalizing it. and so that was another thing that the character was able to do was to bring that that sort of spoken sense of what all this means and what's going on and how we all feel about it and so you know i felt very comfortable uh, uh and he and i would actually spend a lot of time off set kind of get you know hanging out and developing that rapport but bernie coleman you know in the movie is a warrant officer which is an officer who has a sort of a jack-of-all-trades knows a lot about their position he's somebody that higher-ups often 
even though they outrank the person, still come to for advice because they just know certain things really, really well. And I was lucky enough, man, to actually meet some of those people, uh, you know, in the Navy when I was there shooting the movie and just watching them kind of go about their, you know, how they handle their business. And, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because everybody's real cool and real focused, but they're also operating a nuclear-powered uh, aircraft carrier and you realize that in any minute this thing might actually get called in the surface <laughs> and they told us hey if we got to drop y'all off just be cool <laughs> you know, oh we not we dropping y'all off go. y'all y'all going with us exactly oh we go all go to the we go all go together you know i'm looking at that helicopter like oh they got room for one more in that helicopter, that helicopter. <laughs> yeah bashir this has been a pleasure my brother i am i am thankful for what you're contributing to the art and the fact that you're giving young brothers and sisters a chance much like the one you got so mm-hmm. thank you for stopping by and joining the bakari sellers podcast my friend i greatly appreciate your time i thank you so much for having me all right, guys, I want you to know this is the greatest co-star Tom Cruise has ever had joining us today. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're out.